0: before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among, among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. David said above, about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend in heaven... And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen.
1: We are going to be uh, starting a series on the Holy Spirit over the next uh, few weeks and uh, Jesper was due to be starting that off. Um, I'm not going to be preaching on the same passage that he was, I'll be preaching on another passage but uh, focusing on the same theme of the, uh, the Holy Spirit. It's one I've done before many years ago, you probably won't remember it um, and hopefully my preaching has improved since I first did uh, produce this one but I'm sure the Holy Spirit will use these words for his glorious sake. Well, as, um, as regular worshippers will know from uh, many of my sermon illustrations, I do enjoy watching a good film, and uh, one of the ones that um, is out there at the moment I would like to see, in addition to *A uh, lame Miss*, which I'm sure some of you may have seen already, still hoping to see that one, is Impossible. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's the true story of a, a Spanish family and their experience of the, the tsunami that um, struck on Boxing Day 2004. The uh, incredible power of which caused devastation up to 5,000 miles away in Africa. Villages were wiped off the map. Nearly 300,000 people lost their lives. And uh, news reporters were quick to rush to the scene, and as they looked for words to describe the, the scene they met, they could only compare it to the most powerful thing they knew, a nuclear bomb. So this morning we're going to be looking at a much greater power than than that. A power for good. A power not of destruction but of transformation. A power that not only has no geographical limits, it has no limits of time. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Power that was poured out at uh, Pentecost 2,000 years ago and continues to be poured out today, as he's still very much alive and at work in this world. We'll be focusing on um, Peter's sermon here in, the, in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. I want to talk about you, but what always strikes me when I read the sermon of Peter's is, um, is this really the same man who, just 40 days or so earlier, had denied that he even knew Jesus? And yet here he is, standing, preaching with great confidence. And that is testimony to the power of the Spirit of work in his life. And what we will see from this passage is the pouring out of the Spirit is linked with the proclamation of the death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is now Lord and he is Christ. And the gift of the Spirit, salvation, is now available to all who call on his name. But let's then um, turn back first to chapter 1 and put this, this, uh, this sermon of Peter's in context because this is Jesus here before his ascender talking to his disciples. Uh, verse 8 of chapter 1 of Acts. And here it says, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, the first thing we notice here is that the receiving of the the spirit of the apostles meant receiving power, and specifically power to witness to all the earth. And what are they to be witnesses of? Well, turn back a little bit further into Luke's Gospel, the first uh, book that Luke wrote, being also the author of of Acts. Luke uh, chapter 24, Verse 45, this is what it says there. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So, what they are witnesses of is the fact that Jesus died and he rose again. And now repentance and forgiveness of sins can be preached in his name to all nations. That is what they are witnesses of. But now they are about to receive the power to do so. And my first point I want to make this morning, and apologies there's no PowerPoint, but uh, the, the Spirit empowers us to witness to all people. What we have here is a new a new era starting and it's announced with the dramatic arrival of the Spirit to leave believers in no doubt that he has come. Look at the opening verses of chapter 2 and the, the way in which his, his power is clear from the effect it's had on the disciples. It says they were enabled by the Spirit to speak in other tongues or languages. Now the Jews... in the the crowd, react in two different ways. Some are amazed and perplexed, it says, in verse 12, because they hear the apostles declaring the wonders of God in their own language. Others simply mocked and said they've had too much to drink. So how are we to explain what is going on here? Well, this is where Peter gets up and he gives his explanation. And he starts somewhat humorously by saying, well, They're hardly likely to be drunk, after all it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But then he moves on to a a serious explanation. And the way he explains it is by quoting from the Old Testament prophecy, prophecy of Joel, in which God says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so what Peter's doing here, he's saying, look, what is going on here is the fulfilment of that prophecy. The Spirit will be poured out. The fact that, the, that these people who receive the Spirit are speaking in different languages shows that the gift of the Spirit is extended to all peoples of all nations. Of course, um, the episode of Babel from the Old Testament. Remember that story of Babel? How the whole world originally had one language, but in, in Genesis uh, 11, the people tried to do things in their own strength, without God. They were trying to build a huge tower. And so God pronounced a curse on them. He can fuse their language. He scattered them across the earth. And what is going on here now at Pentecost is the, like the reversal of that curse. Not back to one language, but the ability for people of all nations to understand the same message in their own language. The language barrier now has been overcome. God is reaching out and speaking to, to people from all nations. And the point is that the Gospel invitation is universal. People from all nations gather together in Christ. And so the prophecy here from Joel goes on to say that the Spirit will be poured out on sons and daughters, young men and old men, servants and free men. It's not just people from all nations, it's people from all circumstances and all ages. So what was happening with the Apostles speaking in different languages was the pouring out of the Spirit. And the fact that it was happening meant that we're now in the the last days. Because it says in the prophecy, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. And so we're entering a new era here when the Spirit will be active in power. The last days began with the appearance of Christ on earth and will end with his reappearance. But during this period, it says in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Will be saved. That is a promise. So, a question here for those who have already accepted that promise, who already accepted Christ as their Saviour do, do you accept that we are in the last days? And if so, do you make it a priority to proclaim that message? Do you fully appreciate the power of the Spirit? Do you really believe He has been poured out as uh, God promised? And that he empowers us to be witnesses. If so, do you ask him to help you proclaim that message? To help you proclaim clearly and boldly and sensitively? The trouble with witnessing is, of course, it's, it's a bit like praying, isn't it? We can beat ourselves up over it when we're not doing it. We can make great resolutions to do it better and more often. But inevitably they fail. Because unless it comes from the heart, unless we have a real desire to tell others, it's going to be flat, we're going to be doing it sort of resentfully, out of duty. And the only way we can really solve that problem is by looking at the message that we should be proclaiming. Does it really excite us? Is it good news for us that we want to share with others? Well, let's have a closer look at what this message is that we should be proclaiming. What does it mean that Jesus who was crucified is Lord and Christ. Because by the Spirit's power we witness that Jesus who was crucified is Lord and Christ. That is what we witness as all. Put yourself back into the um, position of a Jew in that crowd, hearing Peter speak. And you you will know this text that he's quoting from Joel. You've known the Old Testament (coughs) Scriptures. But you'll still be wondering... Well, who is this Lord? Who is this Lord whose name we should be calling on? And you'll be, be thinking, what, what will I be saved from if I call on the name of this Lord? And that is why Peter makes this jump from there to the story of Jesus, starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, he says, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth. He's going in to tell them that this person that was prophesied is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the one who offers salvation. And that is why the Spirit has come now, he's saying to them. He says in John 15, when the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He will testify about Jesus. So when Peter finishes quoting from Joel, he says, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth. I wonder how the mention of that name would have rung in the ears of those present though. Do you remember him, Peter's saying? If, you're, if not, let me just remind you of three things about Jesus of Nazareth. He was the one, you remember, he performed those acts of power, those wonders and signs amongst you, those things that you're amazed about. He's the one that God handed over to you. And what did you do? With the help of wicked men, you crucified and you killed him. God allowed him to be killed because that was part of his great plan, but this does not excuse your guilt, he's saying to these people. Now, Peter here would be mainly accusing the Jerusalem Jews at this stage who either stood by and allowed Jesus to be put on trial. He may have even been amongst the crowd shouting at the trial, you know, crucify him. But of course, in a sense, we are all to blame for Jesus' death because it is our sin that put him there. A few years back now, don't you remember the film, The Passion of the Christ? Uh, where Mel Gibson, the director of that film, was accused of anti-Semitism, that it was um, uh, portraying Jews in a bad light, as being guilty for Christ's death. And he pointed out that the hand that you see hammering the nails in the cross on that, in that film was his own hand. He wanted to make the point that we are all guilty. If we had not been full of sin, Jesus would not have had to die to save us from the punishment that we deserve. He is also, Peter says, the one who was raised from death. He was the one who was freed from the agony of death, the agony of having the punishment of the sins of humanity loaded on him, the agony of being separated from the Father. And the reason he was raised, because it was impossible for death, it says here, to keep its hold on him. Peter says, God has raised this man, Jesus, to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. So he's saying that this Jesus who is a descendant of David, who was raised from death, must be the Christ. He must be the anointed one, the Messiah. The one you Jews have been waiting for for so long. Here he is. And Peter carries on with the testimony. Not only is he the Christ, he's now exalted to the right hand of God the Father. He's received from the Father the promised spirit. And we know that because he's poured out what you now see and hear. So the great climax that Peter arrives at in verse 36 is let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. We are worshipping the Son of God. We come to worship the one who established his kingdom, who reigns as king, and whether we like it or not, Jesus is Lord. And on that day when he comes again, we will all bow at his feet, either willingly, as those who have already accepted him as our Lord and Christ, or sadly as it says here, as his enemies, he'll be made a footstool. Can I ask you, have you done that yet? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord? Is he Lord in your life? Or has he been replaced by something that is more important? calling on Jesus' name though involves a response it involves repentance it involves baptism and those listening to Peter realise this immediately this is not here Look, so there you go that's what Christianity is all about take it or leave it over to you guys now I'm off uh, somewhere else Peter had accused them of crucifying Jesus Christ of murdering the one who created the universe The one who now reigns over it. And when they heard this, verse 37, what does it say here? They were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. It had pierced their souls. This is the work of the Spirit. It is he who has made them realise that they are among the guilty. They are among those enemies who will be made Jesus' footstool. And the Spirit has convinced them that Jesus really is Lord. And so their response here is, brothers, brothers, What shall we do? What shall we do about this? We we can see our guilt now. We can see our sin. What can we do? And the answer is quite simple. Peter replied, repent and be baptised. Repent and be baptised. It's a simple solution. But in practice, it can be quite difficult, isn't it? Because it involves doing a U-turn. It involves an omission of guilt And in the same way that it's difficult for us, it's difficult for many people, particularly in the the public eye, to admit they've got it wrong. Just think of Lance Armstrong in that interview. Would he admit clearly that he'd made a mistake? Remember Margaret Thatcher's words, the lady is not for turning. Have you ever gone on on a walk, probably particularly the blokes here, and been convinced that the path you are pursuing will eventually come out in the right place and uh, you won't take any suggestions uh, from your wife. Maybe we should turn around, go back the, uh, by the, the normal route. You'd rather keep on going than turn back and start again if it means admitting you were wrong. But that is what God requires and that is what becoming a Christian is all about. It's turning from our own way and going God's way. The Gospel is good news because of what Jesus offers as a result of what he did. He promises to all those who turn to him in repentance, both forgiveness of sins, a wiping out of the past, and a gift of the Spirit to make us new people. The gift of the Spirit is new life. It is the washing away of sin, it is the it, that, is, that is signified, isn't it, in baptism, the washing away of sin, the, the outpouring of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is the, is the inward work of regeneration that goes on inside us. The transformation of our lives. In baptism, that is the, the outward side of what has taken place inside us by the Spirit. And Peter says that good news is for everybody. Look at verse 39, he says, for the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. There's no automatic salvation for you if your parents are Christians. You you still need to be called by the Lord. You still need to make your own personal response to Jesus' invitation. And Peter is so concerned for these people that it says here, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So let me warn and plead with you now. If you have never made a decision to follow Christ, you remain part of a corrupt generation. We are all born sinful and we can only change through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to repent of our past lives, We need to turn to him and receive the promise of forgiveness and new life. And that is the good news of Christ. And if you know that good news, if you've already been saved, then how seriously do you take the situation of your non-Christian friends? Are you warning and pleading with them? Well, you may be keen to do that. You may want to warn them. You may want to plead with them. But you think, well, how do I do that? You know, this this message is so encouraging, yet uh, I really don't know how to do that. Can you give me some help to do that? Well, there's three applications I just want to leave you with um, this morning. The first of those is the content of the message. Peter focused on Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. They are essential to the Gospel message. The Christian faith is not based on any subjective experience or internalised spirituality, some individual way of of looking at things, it doesn't involve a leap in the dark, suspension of one's rational faculties, is based on the historical events of Jesus' death and resurrection. He did live, he did die, he did rise to life, and he does reign as Lord. There are many Jesuses being preached today, but we need to remain faithful to the gospel presentation of him. We need to explain what he did, what he offers, forgiveness and what he requires, repentance. Just remember the content of the message. Think of the method of proclaiming the message. There's another temptation to think that because people don't accept the authority of the Bible today, that um, we just can't use it anymore. You know, let's put that to one side and just think of some clever way of uh, explaining the Christian faith that would ap- appeal to people. But the trouble is, when you start ignoring the Gospel, the, the, the Bible, God's Word, you're denying the power of the Word. Peter readily quoted from the Scriptures to prove his point, and I, I'm not saying he should just quote verses at random to people as he speaks to them, but encourage them to read the Bible. Peter used his own eyewitness testimony. We, we can't do that ourselves, but we have that testimony here in the Bible. We know how Jesus has changed our own lives as well, don't we, because of that. And hopefully that should become apparent to people around us. We need confidence in what the Bible says. And finally, the power of the message. The power is in the Word, as we've said, and it goes together with the power of of the Spirit. The two are inseparable. The impact of the Gospel message doesn't depend on any fancy persuasive tools that we may use, not any slick presentations. It relies on the power of the Spirit who enlightens the minds of those with whom we speak. And we need to pray that he would do that. As witnesses to Jesus Christ, In these last days, we are empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the message. But we need to ask him to help us do that. It's amazing when you do that, just how many opportunities come your way. In the middle of a conversation, when you're you're struggling for words, he will suddenly give you those words to say or guide you as to what you should say. Well, as we come to an end, as before we come to the Lord's table and celebrate all that uh, Jesus has done for us, all that Peter talked about on that day, We finish with that verse 41, which is an incredible verse because even after three years of Jesus' personal teaching to thousands of people, performing loads of miracles, there are only 120 people present, 120 believers on the day of Pentecost and then in one day we are told about 3,000 were added to their number. This is the start of the spreading of the gospel. The Spirit has empowered the disciples to be witnesses of what they've seen. And the spread of the gospel recorded in Acts, the growth of the, the early church, is not down to these ordinary bunch of men, it is not down to the church planting techniques of Paul, but to the incredible power of the Holy Spirit, the one who enables us to witness that Jesus is Lord that he's Christ, the one upon whom we all can call for salvation. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the outpouring of your spirit on that day of Pentecost. We thank you that he is still here with us today that he empowers us in our witness. And if we are believers here this morning, we do pray that you would encourage us to want his power, to ask for his power. We pray that you would help us to see just how urgent the need of salvation is for this lost world in which we live. And we pray that you would excite us by the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died, that he came to life, by your power, by your set plan. And that he now reigns with you. Lord, help us to encourage people to call on his name, that they too may be saved, that they too return in repentance and have their sins forgiven. And Lord, if we already know what it means to be forgiven, help us now as we come around the Lord's table to fully appreciate that and to be filled once again with a sense of gratitude for all he has done for us. We thank you now in his name. Amen.